City on the Edge. City on the Edge. City on the Edge. All right, now I'm just going to say welcome to City on the Edge. Welcome back to our podcast coming to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Recently declared officially the kindest city in the United States. By a totally worthless poll <laughs> done by an app. Well, it's official though. <laughs> According to the uh, the Whisper app. Yeah, which no the, one's ever talked about. Which I've never heard of. Yeah, yeah never uh, heard of, yeah. It, it, Maybe it's something the kids use, like Snapchat. So so what was the what was the news story? There were like three key phrases or something like that that came yeah. up. Yeah. And one of them was pay it forward. Pay it forward. Is this like a chive.com thing? Like a, some trendy. I don't know. Apparently it's a it's an app where you uh, you make anonymous uh statements yeah you know you upload them like secrets and i guess instead of posting a bunch about how everybody's a a freaking loser Mm -hmm. or whatever like other cities Mm -hmm. we in albuquerque tend to post more about hey we should pay it forward like that the 10 people that use their totally unknown app yeah exactly still (laughs) well this is the weirdest story also just it's it i gotta say it was kind of nice for Albuquerque sure. to be mentioned in a in a positive way. Sure, but doesn't it not feel right? It doesn't feel <laughs> it right at feels all. Like I'm like I'm frightened by people like ten times a day here. <laughs> like, oh man. Like tonight, I told you this story a little bit, but maybe I should. Okay. Uh, go tonight, my kids and I went on a hike in the desert, and I lost my keys while we were out there. Yeah. So it ended up being an hour of walking around, retracing our steps in the desert, trying to find our keys. But the whole time, we could see this flood control dam nearby. And just random people sitting in the dark, like waiting for other people and exchanging something. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I have my theories. And they were being kind and paying it forward to each other. Yeah, Mark. and at one point they were like taking pictures of us. There were like flashes directed oh, in our direction. It was just so tense and they, freaky. I did not feel like there's some fellow Whisper app users. <laughs> <laughs> they took the pictures home and they drew little hearts around oh, them because of how much man. they loved them. Nice little add a little bit of attention. And then my daughter found the keys. It was great. Well, um, we got ice cream. We celebrated. So um, <laughs> this is uh, Mike Smith, uh, I'm ta- and uh, and that's uh, Ty Bannerman mm-hmm. as well, and um, <laughs> I'm both of us. <laughs> like it's, I'm I'm Ty Bannerman, and, oh, yeah. and he's Mike Smith, yeah, yeah, and uh, welcome to City on the Edge. This is a uh, our yeah. podcast about Albuquerque, as we stated. What did, what did you guys think of that episode last week, talking about David Bowie and Sandra Dodd? So. What did, what did I think about no, it? What are the people oh. thinking right now? Well, let's <laughs> I, wait for them. I thought it was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed thought. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, let us know if you yeah. uh, if you have thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, I thought we should do a little, and we already started doing it, really, a little segment about Albuquerque news. So we already oh, did a... Uh, that's so funny. I had that exact same idea. Did week. you? Yeah. So yeah. declared the kindest city on, yeah, yeah. on earth, mm-hmm. according to a nonsense mm-hmm. app. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other, the other story that caught my eye this week mm. was... Um, you know, one thing our town loves is uh, chain restaurants for oh, yeah. some reason. We've People got a really lot excited of... about Cheesecake Factory or something. We've like got that. so many wonderful local restaurants yeah. here, and yet it is always a big news story yeah. when uh, some terrible chain restaurant opens. It's pretty damning, guys. Come on. And this week, <laughs> the story is the Cheesecake Factory, yeah. which um, I don't think I've ever yeah. actually eaten at, so maybe it's amazing. I'm just once. missing out. It's whatever. But, so... Um, 
they they're they're hiring like 200 people at this yeah. restaurant which is already insane 10,000 applications 10,000 applications. 10, applications for 200 positions which, I think whoa what does that tell you about something about uh, the Albuquerque economy oh, that the people job are just like that good, desperate yeah. for yeah. Uh, for work um, I mean, who applies for that kind of job? That's a weird... Well, you know. Maybe everybody. I don't know. I, I've worked at chain restaurants. Have you ever waitered? Have you ever uh, been a waiter? Well, kind of, I guess. I mean, I've worked at awful restaurants. I've been a barista many times. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I worked at a, a chain restaurant called On the Border in, huh. in Houston, Texas. and Yeah. It was terrible, but, you know, it was a job, yeah. and yeah. Um, it could keep you afloat for, yeah. for long enough. I worked, my first job was at a subway. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, they made me dress as a giant sab- sandwich and flag down traffic. And I, once I had a heat stroke inside the suit, <laughs> <laughs> and they found me by the side of the road. <laughs> sandwich just yeah. died. <laughs> well, worse things have happened to some of those people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that those were just two that caught my eye. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway. There was something else too. No, yeah. Now that I know where you're going to do this, I'm going to pay a little more attention yeah, yeah, and make just a list. A strange, yeah. strange Albuquerque or interesting Albuquerque yeah. uh, stories. And if you have if you have news items that you want us to talk about, tweet at us or Facebook mm-hmm. at us and or email us or corner us in person. But hand this... us money in a note. <laughs> yes, please <laughs> always hand us money. That is yeah. our running uh, desire. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that is uh, not actually the the meat of today's yeah. episode. Yeah. And uh, let's take a moment to uh, to uh, say hello to our new our special guest, oh. which is Mike and Ty. Oh, yeah. We have no special guests. We're getting this back week. to our roots tonight, you guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just gonna be. You Mike know, and Ty it's fun time. to have guests. It really is. But you know what? Also, we like control. We're we're kind of radio <laughs> fascists. <laughs> we're sick of other people talking. Yeah. Like we would. I'm going to steer this conversation in whatever direction we want. I'm honestly a little sick of Mike talking. Oh, I think, shut up, Mike. All right. All right now, you can now start I'm your own podcast. Talk. You own the mics. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, this week we're going to be talking about a, a, a kind of a strange story from uh, Albuquerque's past. One, yeah. that, one that made a huge impact once mm-hmm. upon a time that's sort of quietly been swept away. Yeah. Like it never really, like, well, uh, as we're going to get into it there, it there, there were definitely like moments uh, where the the story and the the problems surrounding it kind of came to national mm. attention, but never in any real serious True. definitive way. I think. Yeah. And what we're talking about today is Sandia Cave. Oh, I love the story. So let's um, very interesting. Let's well, just talk about the cave maybe to start with. Sure, but can I ask something real quick? How are we leading into this from David Bowie? Remember, you know, yeah. we, we have we got this conceit that each one flows into the next. Um, I know we had, Sandra Dodd was talking. Reason. Uh, she was talking about her initial impression of Albuquerque was like the city beneath a cave. Right, right, people living in a cave. Yeah. Um, there was some, we we picked this specifically because it, we thought it fit. It did, it yeah. did. I have no idea. <laughs> but let's not get ahead of ourselves. I yeah. thought we'd just start with the geography of it. Yeah. So about half an hour outside of Albuquerque, Mm-hmm. You go past Placidas, yep. which of course is where those crazy communes were, yep. where U.S. Yep. Grant yep. murdered people after running yeah. for uh, for governor. This you go, happened. Yeah. you go through there, and you keep following that canyon, right. Las Huertas Canyon, right. and soon it, you come to um, there's a there's a cave on the side mm-hmm. of the cliff about I don't know what on the left feet up or so. That way, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, have you been there? Oh, many, m- yeah, it's been a few months, but but yeah, many many times. So I what's mean, your? How would you describe it? Like, well, I think I always think of it as a keyhole when I look up at it. It just seems like kind of. I mean, now it's got that cage around it with the yeah. stairs coming down from it. But but um, 
you know, it's just this little nook up in the rock. And there's a, there's a few caves up there, but only Sandia Cave is really accessible. And right. it's just, to me, it's just, I mean, what a beautiful area. You stand yeah. up there on that balcony in front of that cave, and you just see, like, the Green Valley fall away in front of you, and the pines everywhere, and Las Huertas Creek down at the bottom, and yeah. then the, the valley sweeping back up on the other side, and mountains everywhere. And it just feels so wild and beautiful. Even with people walking around from their cars, it just is right. like... Have you ever like not enjoyed yourself out there? No, I mean, it's, just, it's yeah. just wonderful, you know. I love that area. It's a pretty place, yeah. for sure. And the cave is great too. If you want to experience true darkness, like what yeah. a great feeling, yeah, man. I mean, you know, we just live with light all the time, and like it's so it's amazing. It's like a sensory deprivation chamber when you get back in there, right? You know, right. I, I I love that feeling so much. Okay, so right. it's a uh, it's a limestone cave. Limestone cave. We looked it up. Um, right. Not. It, it doesn't have a, like a lot of features in it. It's not stalactites, this, this stalagmites. This is not Carlsbad. It's like right. a wormhole in. That's yeah, it, right? it's you just know? kind yeah. of a, a featureless yeah. burrow of sorts. Yeah. You, know? you walk in, you, you go up this weird uh, um, spiral staircase right. that they put in, mm -hmm. I think probably back in the 80s or yeah. something. I like it. Um, you go in, and it's, I'd say it's probably about 10 feet tall in that first room and mm -hmm. maybe 20 feet wide or so. Yeah, then it narrows. Yeah, and there's like yeah. soot all over it. Um, mm -hmm. Supposedly, if you look at it with like ultraviolet light and so forth, you can actually find old petroglyphs and things. Wow, really? Yeah, I was it's reading. It's so vandalized now. It's so vandalized. Yeah, so it has been so vandalized. Yeah. Um, Sandia Grotto, the uh, the caving group, yeah. um, has taken it under their wing as a sort of a place that they're they're cleaning up a lot. Oh, that's nice. So that there's not a lot of the graffiti and so forth that you used to see. What's the group called? Uh, Sandia Grotto. Oh, I never heard of. They actually they actually do uh, like tours of the cave. You can look them up. Oh, interesting. Online um, <laughs> on hmm. the internet. Wow. You slept a night in there once, right? I did spend the night there <laughs> once. I had a. Uh, you didn't know it was so dusty when you went up there. I so. didn't know what it was going to be like. Right, right. I I had never right. been up there. I don't. I don't know what got into me. I was taking this class on like um, the mythology of modernity, basically. Mm. And it was it was an amazing class that with Professor great. David Johnson, who's huh. a, a poet and kind mm. of a mythologist, and co-wrote some books with Marta Weigel oh, cool. back in the day. Okay. Um, and I I was going through kind of a, a tough breakup, I guess, with mm. a, a girlfriend. So you know how sometimes you just get your friends to, to drive you up into a canyon totally. and drop you off yeah. and leave you in the middle of January of and you, then you hike up and this you is, go sleep in a cave? This and is a universal experience. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I heard I, you you gave us your weird ghost story mm -hmm. a few issue, episodes oh, yeah, yeah. ago. Um, I heard voices all night long. Oh, my gosh. Just, Are you serious? Yeah, like echoey voices. I thought people were coming the whole time. Oh, that is um, – Oh, I just got like a – <laughs> yeah um they never got there wow. uh, but it was it was like a it was a kind of a miserable experience but i was sort of glad i did yeah it. that's really fascinating though you know that reminds me of i heard about this uh this house like somewhere in the middle east like in israel or someplace like that that had tons of silica in the walls and people were hearing voices in it all the time and the theory was that it had the same stuff that's in cassettes that records sound. Some sort of magnetic. Yeah, that it, that yeah. it had just like captured it in the walls, the, like these conversations from a thousand years before. Maybe it was something like that. Who knows? Or, yeah. or you know, I will accept the wind as a, or, as a potential answer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's certainly at the time I was constantly like getting with being like, okay, people are coming. What am I going to do? So what yeah. I wound up doing, you go uh, into the cave. I don't know what it is, like 30 feet mm -hmm. back. There's... There was an attempt to sort of wall it off, but yeah. there's a there's a passage that goes on yeah. past that. Yeah. And so I crawled over into that passage, and that's where the cave gets really kind of hmm. 
I mean, that's where the pitch black is. Oh, yeah. That's where yeah. the dust is just this uh, this yellow ochre dust. It's, it's everywhere, just, yeah. you yeah. know, as you're breathing it in all the time. And then the cave keeps going back. Mm. Like, you can keep going back a good ways, like uh, three, 300 feet, something yeah. like that. Um, and this is definitely a cave that has been used mm-hmm. by Native American groups prior mm. to mm. Uh, prior to uh, European-descended colonization, right? Right, right. Um, so uh, maybe this will be a good time to kind of go into... The piece you wrote? The piece I wrote. What is, who did you write this for? Tell, uh, tell this, is a, this is a kind of an expanded version of a piece I wrote for Atlas Obscura. Which is a really cool site, man. Yeah, That's a great you got a writing job for them. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so yeah. if you go to Atlas Obscura, you can see the original yeah. or the, the published version mm-hmm. of this. This is kind of the pre-edited version, so it's a little yeah. um, little longer. Tell Atlas Obscura how much you like Ty's writing and tell him to hire him again and, <laughs> yeah, and pay him lots of money to send him places. With maybe he needs a sidekick to like go places and re- Yeah, and, I, know, think, I think that'd be research. fun, man. I yeah. think that'd be like an ideal job. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and All go right. into that. All right, you can play it. The Legacy of Sandia Cave by Ty Bannerman. In Las Huertas Canyon, northeast of Albuquerque, New Mexico, there is a cave that was once touted as holding astounding evidence of the earliest inhabitants on the North American continent. It's a strange place, positioned high up on the side of a sheer cliff wall, accessible by a winding metal staircase that leads to a three-sided cage over the cavern's entrance. The cave itself is filled with red dust, and the marks of old graffiti can still be dimly seen on the stone walls. There is little else to see inside. No impressive formations, no stunning, unexpected ballrooms, as in Carlsbad away to the south. Only dust and the smell of ancient earth. But this unassuming cave was once the setting of a strange, convoluted story, and some would say a scam, that continues to resonate with controversy in the halls of academia to this day. In the mid-20th century, Sandia Cave was at the center of a startling new theory of human inhabitation on the North American continent. In 1934, a graduate student named Frank Hibben, already a shining star of the the archaeology program at the nearby University of New Mexico, excavated the cave and discovered that it contained artifacts from as far back as the Folsom culture, then considered the earliest inhabitants of the Americas. But Hibben didn't stop there. He kept digging, and soon found another cache of artifacts from what appeared to be a far older group of humans. He named the people of this group Sandia Man, and estimated that they had lived approximately 25,000 years ago, predating the Folsom culture by some 10,000 years. When the discovery was reported in a May 1940 issue of Time magazine, Hibben, by then a full professor, was hailed as a revolutionary figure, and the University of New Mexico became world-renowned for its archaeology and anthropology programs. For years, anthropological textbooks pointed to Sandia Man as the first identifiable human inhabitant of the New World. Frank Hibben's fame expanded as he achieved success after success in his fieldwork. By all accounts, a charismatic figure, Hibben soon acquired an almost Hemingway-esque legendary status. He traveled around the world on big-game hunts, hinted that the U.S. government used his services to spy on enemies in exotic locations, hosted a nature documentary series, and filled up the largest classroom on UNM campus semester after semester with his dynamic approach to lecturing about early humanity. Between his growing fame and his growing fortune, thanks in part to a fiscally advantageous marriage and a lifetime of savvy investments, Hibben seemed to lead a charmed existence. 
But by the mid-1960s, other scholars began to levy disturbing allegations against Hibben and his discoveries at the cave. Archaeologists who later visited the Sandia cave site cast doubt on Hibben's assertions that the artifacts were found beneath an unbroken crust. Researchers who had worked with samples purportedly from the site pointed to inconsistencies in the sample's makeup, and most disturbingly suggested that the iconic Sandia Point, a slope-shouldered flint spearhead unique to Sandia Man and the European Salutrian complex, may have been planted in the cave by Hibben himself. Mainstream anthropology seemed to turn its back on Hibben's discoveries, and Sandia Man disappeared from the textbooks. Decades of academic quibbling in various journals finally reached the public consciousness in 1995, when journalist and fiction author Douglas Preston published a damning article in the pages of The New Yorker. Somehow, though, despite these allegations, Hibben's personal reputation was strong enough to ensure he had a lasting impact on UNM's campus. Hibben died in 2002 and arranged for some of his considerable fortune to be donated to the university. Now, on the western end of campus, the Hibben Center for Archaeology Research rises up like a temple to the man, even as almost all members of academic anthropology shake their heads and cast doubt on his findings. As the building was nearing completion in 2003, the journal Nature singled it out as emblematic of the kind of moral compromises universities make in accepting large donations. Sometimes donations are made by individuals or firms who are seeking legitimacy after miring themselves in controversy, the November 27th article, entitled University Buildings Named on Shaky Ground, stated before referring to Hibben's Sandia site discovery as discredited. UNM professors at the time were quoted as stating that they only used Hibben's findings as a way to teach students how not to do fieldwork. A similar article appeared in The Guardian that same week. In Dodgy Donors and Barris Scholars, writers Robin McKee and Ben Wilson state that, although he was never publicly accused of fraud, Hibben was known among colleagues for his decades-long habit of forging research results. Despite the backlash, UNM completed the building and retained Hibben's name. It's not easy to find anyone at UNM who's willing to talk about these matters these days. Bringing up Hibben's discovery, controversy, and subsequent gift to the university seems to provoke an atmosphere of guarded mistrust. After speaking to several current and former members of the faculty who refused to go on the record regarding Hibben, I tracked down Dr. David E. Stewart, author of Anasazi America, a renowned survey of early American inhabitants of the Southwest and many other books, to ask him about Hibben, Sandia Cave, and the building that bears his name. Stewart is, in addition to being one of the few faculty members who is willing to speak to me openly about Hibben, one of the few who spent considerable time with the man. He is energetic and passionate in a manner that belies his age, and offers a nuanced take on the man with whom he worked as a graduate student in the 1960s. So Sandia Capes had a long history of controversy. Right. In his speech about it. What I know is I worked for Frank Hibben for three years in the 60s. Okay. As his graduate assistant. Right, right. And my relationship with Frank sort of underscored how complicated mm -hmm. he was. Okay. He and I had a very good relationship mm -hmm. at a time when a lot of his colleagues were quite critical. Of oh, really? Okay. Stewart sighs and says 
Hibben committed two major mistakes with Sandia Cave. He turned over the site during part of the below Folsom stage. Right. Probably didn't expect to find anything else. Okay, okay. There was, there was a layer of sterile soil and then there was the earlier material. If I'm remembering this particular correctly. And he turned it over to a graduate student who might have done anything or nothing. Okay. And so the the techniques and the again this is from memory. We're talking right. fifty years ago. Uh, uh, the techniques and the, the field notes from the lower portion of the site that was contested were not done to a standard that was going to withstand concerts. Okay. So. Someone else gets involved. Someone else gets involved. Frank probably gets a little sloppy. Doesn't sure. Yeah. And then and he was quite young at the time too. Um, right? One could argue he was always quite young. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> and so I think Frank deserves. A reasonable level of academic criticism for that very precious material, not opening it up to other scholars at the time and saying, we're going to have a look. Right. I think that was a dreadful mistake. Right. Incompatible with his ego. It's mine. I found it. I'm reporting it the way I want. Okay. And so I think he made a classic scholarly, academic, scientific mistake. Now, how much was fabricated as opposed to embellished? I come down on the somewhat embellished, somewhat embellished. From Stewart's perspective, it was this, combined with Hibben's inclination to exaggerate, that ultimately tarnished his legacy, as opposed to his committing outright fraud. I view his archaeological work as neither exemplary science nor completely craven, he says. Even so, I ask, given how controversial his legacy is, is it appropriate for UNM's archaeology program to build a monument to him in the form of the center that bears his name? There is a long pregnant pause as Stewart considers my question. Finally, he says in a very deliberate manner, I do. But UNM may not be touting the right reason for having it. Instead, Stewart says, Hibben should be remembered for his abilities as a teacher. People loved his teaching. We used to have to get the fire marshal to clear the kids out of the aisles in the lecture hall. The classes would average 500 to 540. Any faculty member who can motivate 500 kids semester after semester, year after year, generation after generation, so that there are families in New Mexico where granddad took Frank Hibben's class, the son took Frank Hibben's class, the granddaughters took Frank Hibben's class, and if he were still alive, they'd be four generations. Okay. And so he did a lot for those freshmen and some sophomores, but it was mostly freshmen, to cement them to the excitement. Right of their state university. Okay, okay. And so I view Frank's greatest achievements, mm -hmm. this is just me, as an academic, former academic administrator, who's also a, uh, a who's who in the world scholar, you know, that Frank's greatest role for UNM 
was doing exactly what the average taxpayer of New Mexico would hope every faculty member did for their kids. I went up to the cave again on a recent weekend for the first time in several years. I was curious about something I remembered from the last time I was there, a bronze plaque that was bolted into a granite boulder near the cave entrance. It extolled Hibben's discoveries on the legacy of Sandia Man. I was curious if, after all these years and the back and forth over the discoveries, it was still there. As I climbed up the snowy trail toward the cave, I almost passed by the spot without noticing it. The plaque itself is now gone. All that remains is an empty black rectangle on the boulder's face. In fact, Hibben's name is nowhere to be found near the cave that once made his reputation. Instead, it now remains on a building at the institution where his most lasting impact, his ability to motivate students, was most keenly felt. And that, it seems to me, is exactly as it should be. Now you can talk. All right. Mike's just, he's buzzing here. He's, oh, he's ready to jump in on this. I, you know, I think that's really interesting, everything that David Stewart was saying. Well, you know, I mean, what I hear there is someone sticking up for a friend. Like, yeah. I hear David Stewart standing up for Frank Hibben, and good for him, I guess. But, you know, I think the evidence is way more damning against Hibben. And I think, yeah. like, the fact that he was a compelling teacher doesn't really excuse him from all of that. Like, no, I, 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 I mean, mean, I agree. I don't want to – I mean, I'm sure Donald Trump could, like, fill a business class. <laughs> I still don't think he's probably, like, you know, the, the, like going to give holy good advice to everybody. So from yeah. my, my takeaway from, you know, both reading the various yeah. articles about it and talking to David Stewart, um, the quest the, – the most – the, the most damning allegation against Frank Hibben would be him salting the site oh, and planting so, evidence. Yeah. Right? It, it, yeah, many examples of both. Well, except yeah, yeah. none of it has ever been proven beyond anecdotal. You really right? think so? Yeah, I think so. Uh, huh. Like, what you, what you find in the Douglas Preston article is you see some people say, okay, so so um, there's there is a, a Douglas Preston article written in 1995, yeah. which does a great job of compiling all the evidence against Sandia Man. I love that article. I think it's, it's a great article. I think it's really good. And I, I think, I, I don't think you can come away from that article and think that, right. um, that Sandia Man as a 25,000 BCE, right. uh, you know, complex right. stands up. Well, and how can you even say Sandia Man? There's literally no like skeletal evidence. There's nothing. There's no skeletal okay. evidence. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, there's not Clovis Clovis complex, Folsom complex. Right. These are all named after points that are found. That's how you, yeah. you know, you you point to a culture. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, so the question is, what? Not not what? Whether or not Frank screwed up. Hibben screwed up because yeah. I think he did. Yeah. The question is, what did he do on purpose, mm. right? And that's that's where everything gets really shaky. Sure. But because you can't. Yeah. I mean, so uh, in the Douglas Preston article, there are people who say, oh, he sent some artifacts that were supposedly from Sandia Cave mm -hmm. that had markings that were. Um, 
from other sites. Mm -hmm. You know, in one case, it's an actual like label. Mm -hmm. And in another case, it's some pea gravel mm -hmm. that's what? impacted into the side of a woolly mammoth tooth, right? Right. And so... Dusting artifacts with yellow pollen. That yeah, now, but see, again, that's just something somebody said. You know, again, it's just like this anecdotal thing. So it's like... I mean, Stewart's defense is incredibly anecdotal. Yeah, like, oh, totally. You know, yeah. that, I mean, you know, that Alaska stuff, James Dixon, who's, you know, prominent right. archaeologist at, at uh, UNM, like, I had t I've talked to him before, and he he uh, didn't mention anything about that. Okay. You know, for him, it was just like there was no evidence up there. They got up there, and they Right, they a full sum points. Yeah. I mean, that I guess, you know, you'd have to do the research and see yeah. if that's yeah. documented. I mean, I think I if David know. Stewart really is going to stand by this stuff, he should write something about it and let it be peer-reviewed and, like, right. and put it out there. Because this is just like, he even says it's from memory. Yeah, know, and, yeah, and yeah. I, I'm I'm frankly not that compelled by it because there's so much evidence to the contrary that Frank Hibben was the sort of blowhard showman. No, he absolutely was. Frank Hibben. A blowhard yeah, showman, yeah, for yeah. sure. Right. And they, so the, yeah. I, I think the problem is, is that for some reason, academic anthropology and archaeology yeah. has not given it the long, hard look it needs. Yeah. You know, we can talk about you know, people saying various things happened, mm -hmm. but none of that's been submitted for like peer review. Sure. That's I, been put I, out there as stories, yeah. you know. It's old news, but I think people are afraid of it actually. I think, I you, think so. UNM got so much money from that guy yeah. like, to like say like this guy is a huge scam artist and it's right. all phony, it's all fake. You know, I mean, they would, they would lose something in prestige for it. You know, yeah. I mean. Now, I, I, you mentioned James Dixon. Yeah. Now, he is known to be a. Uh, a, a uh, kind of stalwart Frank Hibben yeah. denigrator. I found him a very compelling one. Though, he would I not talk to me about yeah. that. Yeah. But I just think it's interesting because mm. nobody wants to say anything definitive hmm. in an academic sense at this point. It, it'd be a, it's a book that would probably be very interesting and, I think and, so, and yeah. fascinating to research. I, you know, I wish someone would do that. I like Douglas Preston. I read one of his sci-fi novels too. Yeah, um, which one? Uh, Tyrannosaurus Canyon, I think it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, but... I, yeah, it's a huge, awesome, interesting topic. I mean, I, I've been to Frank Hibben's house a few times when we were doing that failed pilot. It wasn't yeah. a failed pilot as in that, like, like, the universe was just against that thing being made. Like, literally, our camera person and editor died in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like, oh, like nothing was going right for it. We had, we had just Rest like... in peace, Marcos Ramirez. I know, man, what a great guy. And I'm, and I'm so sad about that. But, but like, you know, that wasn't the only thing that happened. We had a, a whole third of our documentary, like... One, our major interview died. Also, we had two oh, two, two significant deaths like during the course of it. Like, and yeah. it, and uh, but I mean, I went to Hibben's house and it's just like animal heads. It's just like yeah. the guy was a big game hunter. But it was also like there was a lot of like Nazi symbolism around there. Oh, really? Like, that. That's like interesting. I mean, I think say? it could have been Native American because it was swastikas. You know? Okay. And I don't know, but he also had like all this Walt Disney stuff. He was friends with Walt Disney, mm -hmm. and that guy was like pretty racist and weird and and yeah, and, yeah. and him and people call, said they called him an ultra fascist that knew him an ultra fascist ultra fascist i mean like you know like i mean so he was pretty far right and probably yeah. had some like gross viewpoints like that i mean probably, huh? you know i mean so well, he's an absolutely fascinating yeah. figure also who kills elephants who like well, shoots elephants for, like, dude, I mean, <laughs> didn't, didn't Hemingway like he shot I, everything he well, could find. I, I don't you know? think it recommends you as a person, frankly. But no, I don't think it recommends yeah. you as a person. But <laughs> it wasn't exactly like completely out of nowhere. Yeah, you know? like guess, people yeah. did that kind of thing. Sure, and, yeah. I mean, and I think that's 
I think that kind of plays into the Frank Hibbins story too. Yeah. Like he's coming from a pretty archaic approach to anthropology and yeah. archaeology, which is kind of like Indiana Jones for real. Yeah, yeah, you know, where yeah. it, it really is just kind of like plundering it's stuff. Playing too. I mean, yeah, I, I watched yeah. the first Indiana Jones with my son recently, and I was like, I don't even like this guy. This guy, like, <laughs> why should I root for him against the other archaeologist that's plundering stuff? Because like, it belongs in a museum. He just and destroyed that an Egyptian tomb. <laughs> That guy's—he's no a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah, bad. I guess. Well, no, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. I opened a closet at Frank Hibbins' old house, and it was just full of tusks. Just oh tusks, man. Like yeah. hundreds of tusks. Not hundreds, like ten. <laughs> that would be a big <laughs> closet. Yeah, there were tusks in there. I mean, it just was sad, man. And the whole house, like everywhere you go. I mean, it was kind of interesting in that, like, oh, I just saw a lot of animals I never knew yeah. about. Like, there was like a weird old school conservationist angle to it you can right. take but like but uh but back in the 40s yeah. or whatever like that yeah. was like considered like part of being like an adventurous man's man you know i guess uh, i guess i don't like him man i really everything i've read about him he just sounds phony he sounds fake yeah. and this isn't the only like scandalous weird thing he was involved in what about the las lunas decalogue stone that's the, an odd one he was the first person to verify that well, the, the Ten Commandments written in Hebrew on a rock, right. probably like an, a Mormon hoax or something weird like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? definitely a hoax. Yeah, we, we can say that. Totally a hoax. The question yeah. is, what is his involvement in it? He he said that somebody showed him yeah. the Decalogue Stone, and so he wrote it up. Yeah. Um, He's just too close to too many spurious things, man. I agree, uh, yeah. Just, it's just not. I, 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 don't, I don't like him. And, he, and he, his articles are so boastful. And, I mean, I will say this. I will never donate anything to UNM because he donated his house to them yeah. and, and his incredibly valuable collection, and they just sold it. Yeah, so they, they could did. pay their vice presidents more or whatever. Right. I mean, like, it absolutely, like, why would you? What's the motive to give something to the school? Like, it's they're not going to take care of it. So uh, but, one of the sources of Frank yeah. Hibbins' money is that he um, he uh, he swiped the wife of the um, the man who owned Nature Magazine. Oh, that's right. Uh, no Nature wonder, Journal. No wonder they tore him apart later on. How funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was thinking about that too. I, um, I don't know if this was her, but when I toured that house, they showed us the garage and they said one of his wives had committed suicide in it. In her oh, car. really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. It's really a sad, dark story. I mean, not to gossip. I just... just well, that would have been... Uh, her name was Brownie. Huh. So if... if I, I don't actually know if she committed suicide or not. But. It was the whole house had just the weirdest feeling to it, man. It was just, it, uh, I, yeah. You should go. You should see it sometime. I would love to see it's it. It's owned now so, by like one of Mayor Barry's PR people or something. Yeah, it's so, just east of UNM campus. Yeah, it has a huge campus H Lafayette. Yeah, made out of stone, yeah. sitting right in front of it, and it has, yeah. you know, a lot of the houses in the area are kind of your typical southwestern, mm -hmm. you know, square, flat roof stuff. Um, this one looks like a chapel. It's got like yeah. a chapel in it, and it's yeah. it's pretty big and rambling. Sure. I mean, it definitely is. Uh... It still looks kind of crappy. But... <laughs> Do you think so? Yeah, I think it looks cool. Really, it's all right. Yeah, um, <laughs> but apparently he had like you know uniformed servants and yeah. stuff uh, there, yeah. you know, butlers and so forth. Like the man had he had, he an had money life. Let's and give him an that. interesting yeah. life yeah. for sure. Let's definitely give him that. Yeah, yeah. I you know what? But I really don't feel like. I mean, I think I think blaming a graduate student. That's low. I, I like one graduate student. No way. The, it was the graduate students that were reporting these damning yeah. anecdotes against the guy. Yeah, you know, Bliss. I, um, Bliss was one of his. Well, let's. Frank Hibben was a graduate student himself yeah, at the yeah. time uh, of the Sandia Man discovery. Yeah. He was working with a guy named Wesley Bliss. Wesley Bliss is actually the one who. So a lot of this comes down to the description Frank Hibben had of 
the ground mm-hmm. prior to right. getting to the Sandia points. Right. And he said it was an unbroken layer of, um, like, I don't know, yellow ochre, mm-hmm. right? Now, Wesley Bliss, who worked on the site at the same time, yeah. came out and he said, years later, he said, uh, no, it was way messed up by mm. rodents and all mm. sorts of things that yeah, been living in there. Been, yeah. They'd been mixing everything up. Yeah. And so he that that was Wesley Bliss's um his point of contention, hmm. not that Sandia Point wasn't real, right. but that it could not accurately be accurately dated yeah. to 25,000 BCE. Which makes sense when you go in there, it's there's such loose sediment, it's all churned up. I yeah. can't imagine that was all done by archaeologists later. Like, right, it, right. Um, huh. There are some photographs that supposedly show Sandia Point in situ. Hmm. Um, I know I have that book on Sandia. I have like the yeah. actual like report that Hibben did somewhere right. in here. We'll find it later. So to my yeah. mind, it, yeah. that that's the question. It, it comes down to, okay, what is this the story of? Mm-hmm. Is this the story of a blowhard mm-hmm. who was a sloppy archaeologist mm-hmm. who found some interesting points, mm-hmm. but totally screwed up in the yeah. dating of them and then embellished um, the way that they were found. Interesting. That's one That's one way that I think you can see this. Yeah. And the other way is you can see this as here is a fraudulent activity, somebody planting Sandia points in this site right. and then using that to like secure his right. reputation in a very like overtly craven way. Right. And I think Sounds I mean about I, right. <laughs> I feel like one is is a uh, eh, a somewhat sympathetic figure, yeah. um, somebody who screwed up, mm-hmm. and the other is an evil bastard, basically. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. So. I mean, I think there's even evil bastards have their nuance. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it could have been somewhere in the middle there. Like, uh, maybe you know, I think a lot of times dishonest. Uh, sinister people get strength out of having nuggets of truth at the center of their stuff. I mean, yeah, he could have found something. I mean, in the 20s, a ground sloth claw was found in the cave. Like, things had happened in this cave. There's no question. This is a real... People use this cave. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it might not have ever been, like, lived in, but that just wasn't how, like, nomadic tribes operated anyway. You didn't just, like, go live in a cave. You were going around collecting stuff, and you Mm -hmm. had to do that all the time to stay alive. You had to go wherever the berries were ripe and wherever the animals were grazing i mean you you know you moved around but yeah of course someone probably slept in this cave in the thousands of years that it was there like there's a history to this cave, guaranteed and you know we know that there that people crossed over that land bridge between Mm. eurasia and alaska fifteen thousand years ago We, we know that like so much of ocean water was locked up in glaciers during that last ice age that things rose up that weren't that were underwater previously and since right and you know we know that think that People crossed into Canada, what was it, 10,000 years ago and moved down since. And that there was like an asteroid strike, like what, like 12,000 years ago? And it, you know, made everyone start over again, basically. It killed off people in North America. You know, there there were all these things that had happened. And there were settlements. There was Folsom Man. There was Clovis Man. You know, like, it feels sexist saying man. But, like, but I mean, (laughs) this this is what archaeologists call this stuff. And people were around. There There were chapters of human history that preceded... The, the the Native American history that we that we know somewhat you know previously yeah. yeah I don't like the term prehistory personally right. it always feels racist to me like yeah. like why yeah, is it prehistory because people didn't have like a written language yet you know yeah, there were still right. people you know yeah. but, but um I don't I don't know that that's anyone else but like just my personal 
a, you know pet peeve or something but but um I think I'm right. Um, the uh, but but I mean like so these things happened to me like the Sandia Cave thing never sounded all that ridiculous before yeah. I knew this whole story because yeah there were people in Clovis and right. Folsom like like why not here you know mm-hmm. like uh, it's, it doesn't seem that unlikely we, there were mammoth tooth teeth found in the Rio Absolutely. Grande Valley I mean yeah. like I mean there's definitely you know, a long history yeah. in right. this area of human habitation right 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 I mean. So there's all that, uh, but you know, God, it's it's really sad to me that it, that this story has been so sullied and complicated by this totally yeah. disreputable person, man. I whatever David Stewart says, this guy was disreputable, man. He I mean, was he was shady. You, 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 you wouldn't want to trust everything he's saying. Seriously, I mean, I, I feel like it sullies David Stewart a little to have to stick up for that guy in that way. Like, I mean, well, you know, like it, this, Frank Hibbins' reputation is so questionable. Yeah, you know. It doesn't. I like. Right. I'm sure that guy's nice, but he's, but, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, it sounds like a that. cool conversation. It sounds like you really got a lot out of it. But like, I, I just would would hesitate to stick up for Hibben because there's just yeah. so much that's called into into question about about who he is and what he's done. Interestingly, yeah. one of the things that David Stewart mentioned as a uh, something that he found admirable about Frank Hibben hmm. that um, he felt was unfairly used against him was his status as a as a popular author, he mm. wrote. Um, I can see that. He wrote books on early, uh, early inhabitation of the Americas. Hmm. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but yeah. he he did, and and he he. Uh, David Stewart said that that was something that Hibben was criticized yeah. for. He's a popular yeah. author. Now, interestingly enough, David Stewart is also a popular author. He has a yeah, yeah. he has this book, um, Anasazi in right. America. You see and his then, books everywhere. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. he's got like a bunch of um, kind of mystery mm-hmm. mystery books set right, in right, different right. sites. So I would see him under the counter at Manny's. He, they sell yeah, yeah. Stuff he's there. a Manny's. Right. If you go to Albuquerque. Um, Southeast of campus, there's a little diner called Manny's. If really you ever good. want to run into really affordable David Stewart or uh, architect good Bart Prince, Bart. that would be the place to do it. Is Bart Prince still alive? Yeah, he is. Is he really? Yeah, I like his weird houses. They're He's got wonderful weird. We should yeah. do an episode on them. Yeah, at some we should. Point. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an. I'm certainly not in a position to be able to call it one yeah, way. Yeah, both or of us are just right. reading. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know, man. I just I don't feel that positive about Hibben. I just think I just yeah. think there's too many questions. I, well, I kind of yeah. like the idea that maybe professors should be celebrated for teaching sometimes. Sure, but man, I mean, like, I mean, maybe he like birthed a generation of crappy archaeologists. <laughs> maybe people went out there. Well, and that doesn't were... seem to be the case. I mean, <laughs> although I will say, people who latch on to Hibben's legacy as an archaeologist, yeah. as opposed to a teacher. Those people you should avoid, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they are people who are basically trying to prove like a, a Mormon um, idea of how the United States was settled. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. People who are like saying, you know, they'll often have like articles about how Atlantis was real. Right did you find it. a white power site that was really into Frank Hibbins? Um, yeah, site? at one point I did. What that, was that? It reminded well, me. okay, so <laughs> the Sandia Point itself is unusual in that, as opposed to two shoulders like the shoulders are the if you picture an arrowhead you know the the two things at the bottom here i've got an arrowhead hanging over my mantle it's a single shoulder okay and what it most resembles those are the shoulders right okay what part of the bottom like right exactly the arrow you would tie to the stick what it most resembles because it's a single shoulder one is um, a point called a salutrian point 
hmm. which comes from Europe. Hmm. That's the only place that Solutrian points have been hmm. found, these single shoulder points. Interesting. Um, and so there is some speculation that maybe if we accept that Frank Hibben was mm -hmm. planting these mm -hmm. things, that he was trying to promote a uh, Eurocentric view of who colonized America's first. You Makes say that, oh, okay, it's Europeans yeah. who got here yeah. in 25,000 yeah. BCE. You know, it's like the Kennewick Man controversy. Right, it's right. suddenly, I don't know what, it, I don't see how it would make it like colonialism okay. Yeah. Uh, other than, I guess it sort of softens it in a way, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, someone else conquered it before and we were here earlier. Yeah. yeah. So there are certain people on uh, online uh, they're called racists, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who have have latched onto that aspect of it and kind of turned right. it into something. Ugly. As far as I know, Hibben never overtly made any right. racial claims along those lines. Wow, um, but certainly other people have uh, in his stead. And and if yeah, if you go online, you look up Frank Hibben, you look up Sandia Point. Basically, the only people you're going to find that are saying, "Oh yeah, it's totally a real thing." Right. Um, are people who are promoting an alternative yeah. history of the way that the, uh, the United States was settled mm -hmm. or that North America was settled. Sometimes they're like, like Mormons have their theories, you know, um, theories in quotes, white supremacists. Uh, yeah. I found one today and like, it was, yeah. it was like, a, it was talking about how, um, the Sandia point had been unfairly neglected by modern archaeology, and because it's like, not real. Well, and then the the big picture on it was Atlantis being flooded. So it's like already, you know, this is not oh, not real serious. Well, you know, I mean, you got to give it to the Nazis. They at least tell you like what's not real by what they're interested in. Yeah, I mean, oh, jeez. Um, yeah, no, don't give it to the Nazis. Yeah, and I. I uh, <laughs> You know, now if if you accept that Frank did find Solutrian style points in in Sandia Cave, and then you yeah. accept that David Stewart, he says that people have found Sandia style points mm -hmm. in various points. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't necessarily prove a European connection. What we're talking about is like how many ways can you make no, I mean a flint point. You know, anyway, it's, you know. I think one fact we probably anyone on any side of this could agree on is not enough has been written about this. And yeah, this I'd is like not this is not a subject it. that's been explored in depth enough really. Like I know there's stuff about it. We have this book here, what is it? Uh Sandia Cave, a study in controversy. I mean like everything is like obscure. It's all like old stuff. I yeah, mean there's that New Yorker right. article and like That was like the one thing that entered like yeah. the popular kind of imagination, you know. Yeah, but even that. I mean like this is a there, there needs to be a cool book that like let's write about this. Man, you know what? Let's let's wait till we're like financially independent from other books, and, okay. and then I'm down. Like right. seriously, like I would love to collaborate with you. I think that sounds fun. Um, but yeah, I, God, I don't know. I just it. Here's what I do know. I love Sandia Cave. Yeah, it's I love a great going cave. Yeah. I love the story behind it. Yeah, I love this. I love that it's still a mystery. Too, sure, frankly, like and frankly, mysterious aspects. Right, and Frank Hibbenly, all, <laughs> all. <laughs> All of that stuff falls away when you go up there. It's yeah. just like, who cares? Some archaeologist yeah. made some claims about view. this cave. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. go back in the very back and choke on the dust and just, you know, like, <laughs> it's another time. Hey, what's this What's this leading into? What are we doing next week? Yeah, actually, reminds me. We should, we should be wrapping up, huh? Yeah. Um, well. We could do the one I wrote about 
my cave, quote unquote. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. you know, I stood up there on uh, yeah. Sandia Cave yeah. the other week and uh, looking out yeah. over the canyon, and yeah. I was thinking about your uh, your essay about oh, looking yeah. out from an office oh, yeah, building yeah. window. Oh, yes. So tell, right. give us a little teaser right. on what you're thinking with that. So in 2014, I had a job that threatened to kill me. <laughs> so like it was like kind of a, like one of those like I think with those sorts of jobs that most humans have had at one point or another, kind of spiritually crippling. Yeah, uh, I'm like I don't even believe in a spirit necessarily, but like <laughs> and yet but, it was crippled. And yet I somehow found myself like impaired in that way. Um, it was just a really brutal job, but I had this this view that saw all the way to the Hamas Mountains. And that saw all of Albuquerque. And I just started like taking notes about what I saw at the window. And I started and I ended up writing this piece, just basically like my observations of looking out this eight story office window in the northeast heights of Albuquerque over a few months. It sounds um, numbing, like a numbing experience. Well, it was, but man, I have mixed feelings about the whole experience now because I'm really happy with this essay. Like, like, I really like, so like, I mean, I still have like psychic wounds, like claw marks raked across my very being uh, from the whole experience. I mean, you know, they're just jobs like, you know, people say like, ah, just take whatever, like, you know, easy job you can find or cheap job or like just, you got to make money. You got to stay alive. You got to compete. You got to stay in all this stuff. And yet, like, I feel like this stuff does wound people. It I mean, we've all really had jobs that just yeah. like we like shudder when we remember them, you know. I mean, all, all my jobs, really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I like I, I, man, the only job I've ever wanted is to be a writer, and like yeah. you know, and so like every other thing doesn't quite fit for and me. That's totally know? painful too. It turns it, it out it is. So. Yeah, it turns out it has to do with existential anguish. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be wonderful. We could go into that one. That'd okay. be that'd be great. Sounds good. Okay, that does sound good. But uh, first, actually, next week we're going to have our first mini episode. Uh, which is going to have some supplementary information about Sandia Cave. It'll be a shorter piece, probably only 15 minutes long or so, but hey, check it out. Um, I would like to thank Lady Uranium for allowing us to use some of her music for the interstitials in this episode, uh, as well as Soltero uh, for their song Weather King. Um, please follow us on Twitter at City on the Edge. Uh, check out our Facebook page, City on the Edge Podcast. Oh, we now have a patron account. Um, if you go to www.patreon.com slash cityontheedge, all one word, uh, you can throw a couple bucks our way if you like the podcast, if you'd like to um, support what we do and help us to keep doing it, uh, feel free to contribute. There's going to be some nice, um, nice rewards and so forth on there. And best of all, you'll be helping uh, support some local Albuquerque content creators. Okay, that's enough for today. I'm going to go ahead and set up Wild Night by Lady Uranium to play us on out. Thanks for listening.
Why am I? Why won't you? 